0: Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Some years ago, FedEx did a commercial that spoofed the movie Castaway. You know, the movie starring Tom Hanks that... He was a FedEx employee whose plane went down, and so he was stranded on a deserted island for years. Well, in the commercial, the now-rescued FedEx employee goes to the door of a suburban home, package in hand. When the lady comes to the door, he explains to her how he has survived five years on a deserted island, and during that whole time, he kept her package, safe, in order to deliver it to her. In a sense, it was motivation for him to keep going, to keep hope alive. So he hands her the package. She gives him a simple thank you. But he's curious about the package that he's been protecting these five long years. And he says, if I may ask, what was in the package after all? She opens it shows him the contents, and says, oh, nothing really. Just a satellite telephone, a GPS, a water purifier, and some seeds. (laughs) Obviously, the point was that the stranded employee had all the resources of rescue at his disposal, and he had no idea. Well, last week we began on a path towards spiritual growth and the amazing thing to discover is that we too have all the resources available to us to grow our walk with Christ. And many of you are doing that. You're taking advantage of all those resources to grow in the knowledge, grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maybe some others of you don't even know about those resources. What, what is it that you're talking about? Or, or maybe you know about them, but you've never really taken advantage of them. Well, last week we asked the question, why? Why is it important that we grow spiritually? Number one answer was because, well, we're commanded to. Peter, in his second letter, he only wrote two, he ends his second letter with a command To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Peter took his cue from the Lord Jesus who had commanded us to grow spiritually. And the second reason is because growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is vital. Without growth, without challenge, you stagnate. You become complacent. You stop being effective and fruitful. So you're encouraged to put into practice your position in Christ, who you are in Christ, how you are loved, filled with grace and forgiveness, that you put into practice. What Jesus Christ has done in dying on the cross for you, you put that into practice. The key to all of that is to bring glory to God. So we're going to keep talking about that. And I want you to see that there are practical ways to grow spiritually that lead to glorifying God. And I want to start here. Spiritual growth begins by confessing Jesus as Lord. We're going to see this firsthand as we turn to Philippians chapter 2, written by the Apostle Paul. The fifth verse begins this way, In your relationships... With one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what he's about to quote is what is known as the Philippian hymn, H Y M N, Philippian hymn. Some scholars believe that this was a hymn that was already circulating, so it may not be original with Paul, but nonetheless, it is amazing. Have this mind, Paul writes. About Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, Jesus is God. Emmanuel, God with us, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It's not that he relinquished being God. It's just that he chose to operate mostly in this world as, verse 7, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus is God who took on flesh and blood. That means he experienced everything that we do. He knew joy, he knew friendships, he also knew what it was to be hungry and thirsty. And poor and tired and exhausted. He knew what it was to suffer, to be made fun of, to be betrayed. He also knew what it was to die. Paul says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, in our place for our sins The Bible is very clear about this, but the Bible is also very clear that He didn't stay that way. The hymn goes on, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of Jesus' obedience, the Father has exalted Him, resurrected Him, brought Him back into life, brought Him back onto the throne, and has called everyone in the universe to confess Him as Lord. And that, Paul says, brings glory to God. You see, in order to give glory, glory to God, we must confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And by the way, this is a package deal. You can't say I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, I know that He died on the cross for my sins, and later I'll let Him be Lord. You know, the one who rules over my life. These are not two distinct acts. When you are saved, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what enable the Apostle Paul to write to the Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, if you want to be saved, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want the way to deal with a mess in your life, you must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other way. Religion Morality, good works, none of that is enough. You can never be good enough. You can never do enough good. Acts 4.12 repeats this in another way of saying it. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In 1781, Henry Martin was born in England. His mother died while he was a child. His father worked hard to see that Henry was well-educated. Henry ended up graduating from Cambridge University. Let me share with you some of his biography. Henry, however, had felt about his life that he was grasping at shadows. Didn't know, you know, what is life all about? What's the purpose? Where? What am I doing? And then his father, a believer, suddenly died, and this shadow grasper now felt that he had lost his anchor in life. He turned to his neglected Bible. And read the Acts of the Apostles, which forced him on his knees in prayer to thank God for sending his son into the world to save him from his sins. Henry Martin then felt the call to missionary work and was ordained an Anglican priest. Two years later, at the age of 25, he sailed to India. Nine months later, he arrived in India where he lived in an abandoned Hindu temple for some time. And as he watched people in the village go to their temples, prostrating themselves before their idols, he wrote, this excited more horror in me than I can well express. It prompted Henry Martin to tell everyone he could about the Lord. And there, in predominantly Hindu and Muslim communities, Henry Martin would gather hundreds, up to 800 at a time, in crowds to hear the message of Jesus Christ. So let me ask, how do you think you would fare in similar circumstances? Would you be so moved? Is your heart motivated to do something about so many hurting, lost, hopeless people all around you? You say, Well, what can I do? You can pray. You can invite. You can be a witness for how Jesus has forgiven you and how Jesus has given you new hope. The second key to spiritual growth I want to talk about today is aiming our lives at glorifying God. We touched on this last week, but I want to study it some more. You see, when you confess Jesus as Lord, that was done to the glory of God. Now, whatever else you do, no matter how mundane it seems, that too is to be focused on the glory of God. So, who you hang out with, what you do while you're hanging out with them, how you treat others, how you perform at school, or at work, at church, how you act when no one is watching. Every area of life is to be lived to the glory of God. Aiming your life at giving God glory will be seen in other ways as well. Number one, You will grow spiritually when you do God's will regardless of your consequences. John chapter 21 contains an illustration of God being glorified despite less than ideal circumstances. God had chosen Simon Peter before the foundation of the world to do some very important tasks. One among them was to be a key leader in the first century church. Unfortunately, Peter was inconsistent in his early days of discipleship. Remember, Jesus had shown Peter some great things. Walking on water, feeding the 5,000, the Mount of Transfiguration where it was Peter, James, and John who were on that mountain with Jesus. When the inside of Jesus, the glory inside of Jesus shone all around. He was also there, Peter, to be able to say about Jesus, one of the greatest confessions, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter saw soldiers fall like dominoes in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus spoke. Peter had seen the resurrected Jesus walk through locked doors And even had a personal audience with him after Easter. Yet, in spite of all this, he remained inconsistent. He probably felt pretty inadequate because of all of his failings. You know, following his resurrection, Jesus promised the disciples, Go to Galilee, you'll see me. Well, apparently, Jesus didn't arrive immediately, so Peter got a little impatient. And he said... I'm going fishing. What he's saying is, I'm going back to what I used to do. Maybe I'm not cut out for ministry because every time I try to step into some opportunity, I fail. The one thing I can do is fish, which is a lie if you've ever read the Gospels. (laughs) Peter says, the one thing I can do is fish, and I'm going back to it. Peter was the leader, so several other disciples followed him. But evidently, the Lord rerouted every fish in the Sea of Galilee away from Peter to make his point. The text says, although they fished all night, they caught nothing. Jesus appeared in the morning and confronted Peter. After Peter affirmed three times, yes, indeed, Jesus, I love you. Jesus said to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. He was saying, Peter, you've had it your own way. you got to do what you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, which is a phrase depicting crucifixion, And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Jesus is letting Peter know that his death would bring glory to God because Peter was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. The point is, you cannot grow spiritually by charting your own course. You can't say, Lord, here's what I will do, and here's what I won't do. Spiritual growth occurs when you are consumed with God's glory, not your own comfort, not your own plans. Number two, you will grow spiritually by being humble. Philippians chapter 1 is a wonderful illustration of humility from the Apostle Paul, from his life. Paul was nearing the end of his life when he wrote to the church at Philippi. But he had been involved in some very great adventures throughout his life. He had preached in Athens. He had accomplished great things in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in in Berea. He survived a shipwreck while being transported as a prisoner to Rome, among many other things. Paul because of his many missionary journeys, was the spiritual father and grandfather of almost every Gentile believer, by the time he comes along to write the book of Philippians, however, he is in prison for the last time, and it's there that he sits. No longer active in worldwide ministry, no longer getting on a ship and going and celebrating and sharing the news of Jesus Christ. He's in chains. And so a brand new breed of young pastors have been capturing people's attention. They probably learned the best of Paul's material and adding their new techniques. And because of them, the people have been forgetting about the imprisoned Paul. Some of these young pastors even criticized Paul. Uh, Using his imprisonment as a way to gain prominence for themselves, they probably said things like, God is finished with Paul. He's no longer hip and cool. Paul in the Bible. Just so you know. Or they said things like, I think Paul must have made some huge mistakes. I I mean, God has shelved him. Why else is he in jail, right? (laughs) But despite opposition, Paul's attitude in prison was one of joyful contentment. He actually rejoiced in the boldness of those who came after him. Let me share with you what he writes in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. He says, and because of my chains, because I'm in prison... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Some Christians had actually become bolder in their witness because they saw the example of Paul. They saw the sufferings of Paul. He goes on, what's more, Paul rejoices and that the gospel is going to be preached no matter who's doing it. It's true that some preach preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. Those who preach out of goodwill do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Those who preach out of envy and, and rivalry, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Paul's opponents were jealous, some of them, because of his achievements, and they tried to make his imprisonment worse through criticism. But Paul doesn't complain. Here's what he says But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. The motives may be false, but Jesus Christ is true. The motives may not be above board, but everything about Jesus Christ is true. And what Paul is saying is, as long as Jesus Christ is preached, who cares what they say about me? Only a mature, humble man whose sole aim it is to glorify God can say such things. And number three, you will grow spiritually in your response to trials. In his first New Testament letter, the Apostle Peter wrote to a group of believers who are suffering because of obedience to Christ. In 1 Peter 4.14, he says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter knew that our natural tendency is to become angry and try to retaliate when we are slandered, when we're persecuted, when we are made to suffer. But Peter says, you are blessed because God is with you and the Holy Spirit resides in you. He continues, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What name? The name of Jesus Christ. That's why you're called a Christian. You bear that name. If you suffer for being a Christian, you know what that is? You know what Peter's telling us here, what he's talking about? Cost commitment. Most of what I've shared today is about cost commitment. Whether it's been about the Apostle Paul, Simon Peter, Henry Martin, Cost commitment is one of the important phrases from our recent 50 Days to Vitality devotional. Seeking to become a Great Commission church, there are four areas that are crucial. And I'm going to use Ken Pretty, Dr. Ken Priddy, the one who authored that devotional for us, his phrases. The four areas that are crucial for us to become a Great Commission church, number one was basic Bible. That means getting into God's Word. And you can do that on your own as you spend a few minutes each day reading God's love letter to you. That's what the Bible is. For over a year now, I've included daily Bible readings to get you prepared for the next week. Those are on the back of the bulletin. And we have a number of Sunday school classes and Bible studies to join, and there are going to be more coming this fall. Basic Bible. So getting into God's Word, how vital that is to become a Great Commission church. Second, preemptive prayer. Prayer. Talking to God, hearing from God. The importance of understanding and using prayer is one of the reasons I'm teaching a five-week elective Sunday school class on prayer. Today will be the second of those five weeks, and I'll repeat it from time to time. Number three, Again, Ken Pretty's words, missional multiplication, in other words, evangelism. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that is concise but clear to elicit a response, hopefully a response of faith. And we'll be talking more and more about this as time goes. And the final of those virtues, those values, those pillars, those crucial areas is cost commitment. Cost commitment means being a follower of Jesus isn't always easy. Let me begin with what cost commitment is not. Cost commitment isn't, I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't have to change, I'll follow Jesus as long as I'm comfortable, I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require commitment, it isn't, I'll follow you, Jesus, if you're going my way. Cost commitment means following Jesus is often countercultural. It means not having it my way, but God's way. Cost commitment is about being sold out for Jesus despite opposition, despite criticism, despite what's comfortable for us. Cost commitment is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. As a friend of mine recently said, let's do something good for Jesus. And I say amen to that. As a church, let's do something good for Jesus. Let's continue doing something good for Jesus. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.